both of those while he was in, in prison in Rome. And as we mentioned last week, Paul never refers to himself as a prisoner of Rome. He's a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is uh, emphasizing that revelation of the mystery that he receives while he is in bond, uh, in bonds. But he talks about how the fact that the word of God is not bound. And so we rejoice in that truth. Last week we talked about the will of God and how important it is. And Paul was praying that this church in Colossae um, would understand what the, the will of God is. Uh, we talked about, you want to know the will of God for your life? Well, it's in his word. His word tells us exactly what his, his will is. Uh, and uh, so you do what God's word says. I mean, that's a good place to start, right? If you're looking for God's will for your life, what do you do? You start with where his word tells you exactly what his will is for your life. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 tells us that it's God's will that you flee fornication. So start out with there, with that. Wanting to know God's will for, uh, for believers is to flee fornication. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 18, it's, it's to give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God concerning you. So it's God's word that you give thanks. Uh, there in that same portion of scripture, it talks about rejoice evermore. It's God's word that as believers, we rejoice in who we are in Christ. We give thanks for all things. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 of his word, he tells us that it's God's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So, and, and, and in and, uh, 1 Peter, or 2 Peter 3, it, God's word tells us that he's not willing that any should perish. So, God's word tells us what his will is. His will calls for purity, his will, his will calls for praise, and his will calls for service. You want to know God's will for your life? That's a good place to start. And you know what I guarantee you? When you apply those truths to your daily walk and understanding, the doors of service are going to open up. The doors of understanding what God's will is for your life, it is going to be plain and clear to you. So, and that was Paul's prayer to the church in Colossae, that they would know the, the God's will for their lives. Then in this letter to the church in Colossae, he was saying that he wanted those people to walk worthy of the calling that they had on their lives. Well, what is that calling? That calling is to understand you're an heir of God. You're a joint heir with Christ. And there is an inheritance involved in the heavenlies with that calling. You're to walk worthy of that high calling as an heir of God, as a joint heir with Christ. As a matter of fact, you talk about that, an inheritance. The church in, in, uh, in, uh, in Colossae, here in Colossians 3, verse 4, it talks about when Christ, who is our life, shall come, then, then we're going to do what? We're going to return with him. That's what it says. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. You talking about a vocation. You talk about a calling. You talk about a relationship. And so God's word says that we're to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. 
And you stop and think about that inheritance. You think about that calling. You think about that responsibility that you, you have such a position in Christ that when Christ returns, we are going to return with him in glory. What a, what a calling that is. Paul talked to this church in Colossae about how that it is Christ who has made us qualified to be partakers with this inheritance that we were just talking about. You didn't qualify yourself. There was absolutely nothing that you did to qualify you to be a child of God. It was all placed on Christ. And that's what the book of Colossians is all about. That it is God who has qualified you to be a partaker. And in Colossians, the last part that we talked about last week has to do with his preeminence. His supreme glory, praise, adoration that we should have for him. In the letter to the church in Philippi that he wrote uh, at the same time he was in prison uh, writing these, these letters, he talks about how that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess to the glory of God. It, every tongue, every knee is going to bow. It's going to happen someday. Every knee is going to bow to him. And that the preeminence that he, is, that he has is as judge. So every knee is going to bow. But not only as judge, but as savior. And what, what a savior we have. And then the last part we talked about, last week we talked about the fact that he is the head of the body. That the church is the body of Christ. And he head of that body. He directs it. He, he is the one that's in charge and the body of Christ should desire to seek the Lord. That's all by way of review. So you didn't even have to be here last week. We just talked about it again. This week I want us to talk about more in-depth, more glorious truth that's contained in this book to the church in Colossae want us to start with verse 19. And I pray this morning that we can fully grasp the depth of what God's Word is saying here. Verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. Please the Father that in Christ should all fullness dwell. That is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Look at Second, uh, look at uh, Colossians chapter two, verse nine. Colossians two nine. He he goes a little bit further with that information. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You want to know the Father, you've got to know the Son. You've got to know the Son. And, and John chapter 1, John chapter 1, it talks about how it's the Lord Jesus Christ that reveals the Father. John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him, or He has revealed Him. 
No man comes to the Father but by me, is what the Lord Jesus Christ says in John 14. For it is in Christ who sums up who God is. It is Christ Jesus that represents everything that God is. He is God. Back to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. Look at verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1.19 says, It pleased the Father that in Him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. It is Christ who sums up all that our holy, righteous God is. It is Christ Jesus that represents everything that God is. Isn't that pretty amazing? It pleased the Father that in Christ, God incarnate, virgin born, perfect Lamb of God, spotless Lamb of God, it pleased the Father that if you want to know me, you must know my Son, God Himself. God Himself. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? I need everybody to say, that's amazing. Well, who fills up Christ? It gets more amazing, folks. Because you know what God's Word tells us? Turn to Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. This, this truth that I'm about to share with you sends me to my knees. Sends me to my knees when we look at this. Ephesians chapter 1. Remember, God the Father, it pleased Him that in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the Godhead, the Trinity, should be contained. Start with verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places. That's where Christ is seated right now at the right hand of the Father, in the heavenlies. And folks, you're in Christ. Where are you seated? We're going to read and find out. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Just as Jesus Christ represents everything that God is, the church, the body of Christ, we make, we fill him up. That just blows my mind. Everything that Christ is, we represent that. We share in that inheritance with the saints in light. Just as Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, back to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. 
But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The only way that can be true is for us to be in Christ. That is how God sees us. You, it pleased God that Christ would represent the Godhead. It pleases the Father that the church, the body of Christ, makes Christ who He is in the ages to come so that we might show the exceeding riches of His grace. That position that He provides us that position that we have in Christ, that salvation, that eternal life, that security we have in Christ has absolutely nothing to do with any work, any effort, anything that I accomplished on my own. It is all because of the amazing grace, all because of his love, all because God desired to have a relationship with me. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died. For me before I ever loved him before I ever knew him he loved me and he had provided a way for me to have that relationship with him he had provided a way that that I could be saved that I could be part of that body sealed into the day of redemption talk about body truth Look, look at 1 first, first Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and he has made all to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. It goes on to talk about how the foot can't say, I don't have any need of you. The hand can't say, I don't need the ear. The, the body needs each other. But look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. You are the body of Christ. You are still there until the day of redemption. That's what pleased the Father. That is what should cause us to desire to serve him. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. What an amazing salvation that we have. What an amazing connection. What an amazing purpose we have as believers. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not on Facebook, so I can walk around now. My desire to serve Christ today has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that he, well, I can't say that, because he has saved me from hell. But it's not because I'm afraid of what he's going to do. It's not because I'm afraid of his judgment. 
My desire is because Christ has paid that debt of sin that I owed. It is out of appreciation. It is out of love. It's not out of fear. It's not because if I don't do this, 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 or this, or this, that God is sitting up there going, oh, did you see what Rick Owsley did? Ooh, I can't have him doing that. Zap. Because the zap took place on Calvary. That's where the zapping took place. That's where the punishment took place. And that's what the next verse is all about. So it's out of gratitude. It is out of love. It is out of appreciation. It is out of realizing the agony of the cross paid the debt that I owe that makes me want to serve him, makes me want to live for him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, having made peace. Scripture talks about two types of peace. There is the peace of God, which as believers we get to enjoy, right? You know, regardless of what you're going through, you know, the, the promise that we have uh, from, from God is that, that he will give us that peace that passes understanding, that peace with God. What a joy for those of us who, who are believers, who, who know Christ, who are part of the body of Christ, we realize that regardless of what we're facing, regardless of what we're going through, one of the promises that, that we have from God is that uh, in Philippians chapter 4, another one of these prison epistles that were written to that church, that you're to let your request be made known unto God, your, your petitions and your supplications, not to be anxious for anything, not to be concerned with anything. And you know what God's Word says? That the peace of God that passes all understanding will be given to you. doesn't say you, whatever you ask Jesus to do, the Father's going to do it. That was a promise that the apostles had under their apostolic authority. What the church, the body of Christ has today is the assurance that regardless of what we're dealing with, that peace that passes understanding is ours. But there's even better peace than that. And it's the peace of God. The peace of God. See, when we're lost, we're enemies. There's enmity between God and man. And even though God has reconciled the world unto himself through Calvary, through the cross, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that, that God has reconciled the world unto himself. From God's perspective, from God's point of view, he has reconciled the world unto himself through Christ Jesus. But man goes, ah, we don't want you. No, no thanks. And they reject. When the offer of salvation is there, Christ has reconciled the world You have to believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. And when you do that, you get the peace of God, or peace with God, peace with God. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, in, in the garden, God told Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and her seed. 
and between her seed and you. And that enmity has been festering ever since. And man is natural. Man is an enemy with God. But God so loves us so much that he provided that way so that we could have peace with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's peace that he offers. It's the work that he provides. I can't do anything. And I know you say, boy, preacher, you keep emphasizing this. Yeah, I don't want anyone to think that here is peace with God and that you can gain, you can claim that peace by works, by efforts, by doing anything, thinking that you're satisfying God's righteous, holy requirements by works, by acts of service. You can't do it. That does not please God. That does not glorify Him. What glorifies Him is when we come to the point that we realize God desires to have a relationship with us. He desires to make peace so badly that He Himself came and hung on a cross for my sin, for your sin, in order to purchase that redemption, in order to reconcile us back to Himself through the cross. And that glorifies Him. There was a work that I could do to generate peace with God that he wouldn't get the glory. Who would get the glory? We would. Then we would be going, wow, hey, did you see what I did? Boy, God is sure I made him happy. But you know who makes makes him happy? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The perfect Lamb of God, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. I remember reading a long time ago, and I've used this uh, illustration many times, but I'm going to tell you, one of the things that I believe is wrong with the church, the body of Christ today, and why so many people, that we're not reaching the lost. There's a story told of an old, old church. It's old now, but when it was first built, when the church was first built in this town, they had people coming, and boy, they had revival services. They had preachers that stood and, and preached God's word and, and believed God's word and, and lived God's word. And out front of this church, there was a sign that says, We preach Christ crucified. Boy, they talked about the blood. They talked about the sacrifice. They talked about the payment made for their sin. But somebody planted some ivy in front. And so here was the sign. We preach Christ crucified. And as the ivy grew up, and boy, did it look nice and pretty, and it would flower sometime, and oh, it just kept climbing, and it climbed up the side. And before long, the sign up there said, we preach Christ, and, and the ivy just sort of covered up the crucified. Well, that kind of became the church's slogan. I mean, one time it was, we preach Christ crucified, and boy, did they. But after the years, the ivy just sort of came and covered over. So we preach Christ. And so the message is sort of followed along with that theme. 
Christ is a good example. Of course, I didn't need an example. I needed a Savior. Christ is a good teacher. We preach Christ. And so they had pictures all depicting Christ in different, in different scenes. He was a good man. He was a good example. Hey, folks, and I know preachers today that that's the way they preach him. They don't preach him as the slaughtered lamb of God. Sent to seek and to save that which was lost. He was an example that we should all follow. But before long, that old ivy, it kept crawling and then it started going the other way. We preach. Soon it just covered up Christ even. We preach. Joel Osteen's probably the one that saw that. We preach. You're okay. I'm okay. Everything's okay. We preach. We want you to feel good about yourself. Whatever condition you're in, whatever state you're in, we just want you to feel good about you. And that's the way a lot of churches are preaching today. We preach. It's not this. But they preach. They want to make you feel good. Before long, that old ivy, it just kept on. And before long, it just said we. So it was all about them. What this nation needs, what the churches need, is to wake up and go back to that old-time gospel preaching where we preach Christ crucified, buried, and risen, and coming again. That's what the world needs to hear. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, there's no other way to have peace with God other than through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That is the way God has ordered it. That is the way He demands it. And what God demanded, God became. You ever thought about that? For the wages of sin is death. But without the shedding of blood, there is no... God required a blood sacrifice. And you know, we know how the religions of the world, they've all come to some point where, well, let's sacrifice this virgin. Or let's, let's sacrifice this individual. Or let's, you know, for some reason, well, I know why. <laughs> Satan is a counterfeiter. Well, if we just shed this person's blood, that will appease the gods of, of the universe, I guess. Satan's a counterfeiter. But see, God never required that type of sacrifice. Never required human sacrifice except for one. And that's himself. That's himself. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And Christ shed his blood. God shed his blood on the cross. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things 
unto himself. The word reconcile there is an, English, uh, is a, is an interesting word in the Greek. It's apokatalasso. Uh, and the apo in, in front of it, it almost means super. A super reconciliation is what we have. The, with, with apo in the front of that, it emphasizes the perfection of the re, uh, rec, reconciliation that we have in Christ. He, we've made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. To reconnect all things. You, we need to understand something. What we need to understand in the garden, when Adam chose to rebel against God and sin, when he willfully disobeyed God, more than just Adam lost that relationship. The whole world, the, the curse was pronounced. The whole world is under, under the curse. And when it says here, to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. It is God's desire to reconcile all things unto himself. And from God's word, we find out that the whole creation groans. Romans chapter 8 tells about the fact that the whole creation is suffering under the curse. That the whole creation desires to have, to, to see that redemption that, uh, 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 that's, that's coming. And so much so, what is God's promise? He's going to make a new heaven. He's going to make a, a new earth. And guess what he also does? He also makes a new creation out of you. To reconcile, to reconnect, to make new all those who were lost, all that was lost. Look at Romans chapter 8. We just need to read it. Uh, let's start with Romans chapter 8, verse 20. I'll start with verse 19. Romans 8, verse 19. For the earnest expectation or the eager expectation of the creature, or the creation, waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature or the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. See, the whole creation, so here in Colossians, when it talks about he desires to reconcile things in earth, things in heaven, it's because the whole creation is suffering from the curse, from Adam's disobedience. And it is God's desire that there be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And you know what's interesting about that? See if I can find it real quick. Look at 1 Peter. It's right before 2 Peter. Look at 1 Peter. 
Uh, yes, first, look at first, first Peter chapter 1. Let's start with verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Even the angels desire to look into Christ accomplished on Calvary's cross. Even the angels are curious about that amazing love demonstrated on Calvary by God himself. So when it says here, to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be on earth or they be in heaven. It's his desire to reconcile, to reconnect him. But he goes on further. Look at verse 21. And folks, let me encourage you to take this personally. As we read this, I'm not talking to talking to you. Talking to you. Take it personally. Well, not so much that I'm talking to you. The Holy Spirit has written this to you. And you that were sometimes alienated, it's his desire to reconcile all things unto himself and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now, yet now hath he reconciled. Yet now hath he reconciled. Reconnected. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Say again. Oh, no, that was... Uh, First Peter chapter one. First Peter about the angels. That's First Peter chapter one. First Peter ten through twelve. Now turn to Romans. No, I'm sorry. Go, go to Ephesians. Chapter 2. We were there in Colossians. Joyce, we were in Colossians. Verse 21, and you who were alienate, sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And I said, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11, wherefore remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, 
who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's describing Gentiles, and that's all of us. He's describing Gentiles here in your predicament, having no hope. Oh, but look at verse 13. <laughs> Without God in the world, verse 12. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinance, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God, Jew and Gentile, in one body, that's us, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Come back to Colossians. You who sometime were alienated, that's what he said to the church in Ephesus, you Gentiles, you were without hope. You had no connection with the covenant relationship that Israel enjoyed. You were without hope in the world. But now, Aren't you glad we can stand here and preach today in this day of grace? But now, this is what Christ has done for you. Look at Romans chapter 8. We were just in Romans. We're going to go back to Rome. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Let's start with verse 31. With all of that in mind, with the cross in mind, with the empty tomb in mind, knowing that God loves you, knowing that Christ paid the debt you owed, knowing His desire to reconcile you and have a relationship with you, and He's paid it all. The debt you owed, He's paid. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You talk about an inheritance. You talk about a future. That's coming, folks. That's coming. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that declares you righteous. It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Kind of tells us exactly the relationship that we have with a holy, righteous God. Do I serve him because I'm afraid he's going to judge me harshly? Folks, because of his love, I've already, my sins have already been judged harshly. But it was Christ that they were poured out, that judgment was poured out upon. 
And who shall separate us, verse 35 in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Which remember Colossians said that he's above all those things. That's, in Colossians it talked about the fact last week that he's high above all, all powers, all mights. Nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we go through this, the phrase that needs to jump out at us as we go through it and even count the number of times that it talks about through Christ, in Christ, it's all about Him. It's all about His love for us. Back to Colossians. I know I keep jumping around, but all that's just such good information, right? That we need in order to understand that message of redemption that God desires for us to understand, which makes us desire to serve Him, to motivate to serve Him, if we know Him. But if you don't know it, the motivation, oh, i got to know this Savior. i got to know this one that loves me. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through the death to present you. Are you sitting down? Yeah, you are. To present you through his death, through payment made on his part, the pain and suffering was his, he endured, the price paid was our holy God dying on a cross. To present you holy, me? Holy? Me? You bet. You bet. And unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. We know from Scripture one of Satan's jobs is to accuse the brethren before God. But he can't bring any accusation against any of us because of Christ. If Satan attempts to bring an accusation against the body of Christ, Folks, it falls on deaf ears. The reason is because the angel said, He is not here. He is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. The enemy can't bring accusation against those that belong to the to Christ, 
to those who are in Christ. And it is Christ's job, it is His plan to present all those who know Him by faith. See, that's what pleases God, remember? It's by faith. For all those who by faith have placed their hope, their trust in the precious blood of Christ. They, they understand that He died for them, that He was buried for them, that He rose again for them. By faith they believe that. That pleases God and He saves them to the uttermost. And because of that faith, because of that offer of salvation that the individual has believed, I mean, the, when the Philippian jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the Apostle Paul says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. <clears throat> that Philippian jailer hadn't done any works, but if something had happened to that, and the, if, when the prison all shook up, if a loose rock had fallen and hit him in the head and, knocked, and killed him, guess where he would be going? To heaven. Because it's not based on his works to get him there, based on the work of Christ. And it is that work that gives him, that causes him, that allows Christ Jesus to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Look real quick and we'll be done. Look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. That he might present it, talking about the church, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy, and without blemish. That's Christ's intention to do with the church, the body of Christ. You talk about a salvation. You talk about a relationship that is based on His work, not ours. That's what Christianity presents. When a person comes to believe in the Lord Jesus by faith. I remember as a, as a young teen. Being under conviction that I was lost and on my way to hell. And I remember during the day I would go to school and I'd strut around campus. Uh, just I couldn't wait until football practice started. I just wanted to hit somebody because I just wanted to show everybody how tough I was. But at night, when I was in bed, I would be petrified. Boy, the Holy Spirit was just convicting me. I knew that I was lost. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that there was something missing. I, I, my grandmother had talked to me, and, and I'd been to church. We didn't really go to church that much except when I was up there with my grandparents. And she would always make sure and sit me down. And, and she would tell me, Ricky, Jesus is coming again. You need to be ready. 
but it never really registered what I needed to do. So I, I, I would be fearful at night, and I would, I would pray, but I knew that I, I, I didn't have that relationship. Why was there so much fear? God, I, I know you're out there, but I, 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 there's, what do I need to do? Whatever I needed to do, I'll even be nice to my sister. I'll obey my parents. Whatever you want me to do, God, just show me what I need to do. And I would literally break out at night in sweats because I was afraid. And I'd listen for the trumpet. My grandmother told me there was going to be a trumpet. You let a train whistle go off? Oh, my. I'd come out of the bed. But then during the day, oh, man, let's football practice and, and all that school offered. And I remember that I finally got invited to church. And that was good because there was a girl at church, and I liked her. And so I went to church to see her. And so that's okay, guys, coming to church to see girls. That's, that's actually a good thing. I, uh, I encourage that. But I remember walking into that church, and most of these kids I went to school with, I played ball with a lot of them, and, that, and she was coming out of Sunday school, and she saw me. And the look of horror on her face spoke volumes. And so she just turned around and she went the other direction. I went, huh. But that was okay because there were a lot of other girls that were there. And so I went back the following Sunday. And Faye's already heard this story, so yeah. She, 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 approves, she approves of this message. So I, and I went back the next Sunday. And I thought, hey, I, I kind of like this. Got to see a bunch of friends. I went back a third Sunday. Well, you know, in the Baptist church, something remarkable happens. The third Sunday, you go to Sunday school. You get your name on the roll. I was as lost as lost could be, but boy, I was on their Sunday school roll. Plus, for as an added bonus, I got invited to go out witnessing on Tuesday night. I got to go. I remember after football practice, I was hanging my helmet stuff up in the locker. You know, those lockers, never, we're not even going to go there. I was putting stuff up, and one of the guys who knew that I'd been going to church there, and it was his church, he was there, he came up and said, Hey, we're going visitation tonight. Uh, won't you come go with us? And I went, Visitation? What is that? What's visitation? Well, we're going to. We're going to go out witnessing. I went, okay, but I need to be witnessed too. But all right, sure, I'll, I'll go along. So that night I show up at the church, and a friend of mine by the name of Tom Spires and his brother-in-law, Sonny Hood, they were there at the church. And I climbed in the car with them, and we went to see Steve Almond. Played ball with Steve. Played ball with Tom. We went to Steve's house, 
and we went down into his den, and his mom and dad, they just sort of all went different directions. And, and I remember Tom and Sonny sat there, and they went through the gospel with Steve. And they talked to him about how Christ had died for him and was buried for him and rose again for him. They went through the salvation message and they made it so clear and not one time did I hear that I had to be kind to my sister. Not one time did I hear that there was anything that I had to do other than by faith trust Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, they told him it was not by works of righteousness that we've done, but by his mercy he saves us. And Steve turned them off. He didn't listen to them. He didn't. He just said, okay, well, that's nice. Thanks for coming. But boy, my heart, when I heard that truth, I thought it was going to explode. When I heard that God loved me, that he so much that he died for me, and that there was no requirement, there were no works, there were no, no effort that I had to put into it, but by faith received that free gift of God of eternal life, that he had paid the debt, he had paid everything I owed. That night I went home, I didn't say anything to them, and I got on my bed, um, I got on my knees by my bed, and I prayed, Lord, all these years I've been living in fear. But they said, you love me, and I accept that. I believe that you love me. And by faith, I believe that Christ died for my sins. I believe in his resurrection. I believe that. And folks, I got up off of my knees that night, and I have, I have not been afraid of train whistles since then. That's the truth. I have not been afraid to put my head on my pillow at night since then. because of having that peace with God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this evening and uh, this morning and how thankful we are that you love us in such an incredible way. You love us just as we are. Father, we come acknowledging that outside of you, we have no hope. Outside of you, there is no purpose. Father, we come this morning recognizing that you love us, that you paid the debt that each and every one of us owed, and you paid it in full. Father, how thankful we are for that salvation. And Father, I just pray that if there's anyone who's listening out there that's never believed in you, that by faith, They become that new creation this very moment. And we pray all of these things in that name that's above all other names, in the name of the one who hung on Calvary's cross, in the name of the one who emerged from that tomb, in the name of the one who's coming again, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.